This is Apply the Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor Ty Orr and Water Springs Church. Here's a preview from Pastor Ty of today's message. John says that he's beloved. This man is beloved. And for us, what endears us to people? Have you ever thought about that? What endears you to another person? What makes you want to be around another person? It's it's love. It's, It's you love them. And it's that joy that you bring to each other and that relationship. And so the idea is, what are we known for? Are we actively loving? Are we actively mentoring and seeking to be in relationship with other people? church full of one age and stage of people is never going to be a healthy church. If a church is full of only older and mature believers, you'll be missing out on the fire and excitement of younger believers. If you only have young people, you'll suffer from lack of wisdom, guidance, and maturity. Today, Pastor Ty will encourage you to value all ages and to seek to build relationships throughout the body. The best way to do ministry is in relationship with one another. Building up and strengthening others as you mentor and guide is a blessing. Now here's Pastor Ty in the book of 3 John, chapter 1, as he continues his message, Faces of Joy. The elder here is the same word that John used in the the, the last epistle, 2 John. It's a term in the New Testament that describes one with authority. Now, it comes due to age and experience. You can look at Timothy and Titus when we talk about the term elder. Now, Age alone, by the way, is not enough to merit someone to be an elder. That just means they're old. Okay? There's other things that are attached to this. Um, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, How many of you guys are familiar if somebody's in acting and the person's a triple threat? You know what that is? They can act, dance, and sing. I'm the triple threat. I am short, fat, and bald. Right? Right? And actually, I realized the other day, it's actually worse than that. I am now old, fat, and bald. See, now I'm the triple threat of, ew, right? You know, so, but here's the thing that you have to realize. I can laugh at myself. It's, you can laugh at me about that. That's okay. I can change this. This I can't change. This, I, yeah, I don't know. But here, here's the thing that you have to, yeah, that's right. All the bald guys in the room going, oh, preach it. Okay. So, so, <laughs> bald heads unite. Okay. So. But the the thing that we have to realize is that authority in the church is given by God. Okay, we have to understand that. But there are those that are elders, and every tribe of church does this elder thing differently. We as a church have elders and pastors because we have some pastors that are young and still growing, but they are fulfilling roles that elders will, that they, that fulfill. And so we have a different way of looking at it. Another church might have a different way. Some churches elect their elders. Some churches, they're appointed. And so it's all a little bit different. But here's the biggest thing about somebody who's an elder, because it's not just the age alone. They have to have experience, wisdom, knowledge. And they need to be people of prayer. 
They need to be those that have a relationship with God that is stemmed from time on their knees in prayer. It's just something that has to be there. And on all these differences and all these different tribes, ultimately, it's a mature Christian. But here's the thing that you have to understand, is that not every mature Christian in the church holds the title of an elder, but they are part of the body and they are the elders of the church. So you have to understand, if I called and I said, hey, I want the elders, not pastors, not the, the elder teaching elders or anything like that, I want the elders of the church to come and pray for people tonight. That would be men who have served the Lord and been on their knees and praying with God and their wives and they have experience in life. I was, I was talking to one of our uh, church elders the other day. Doesn't hold a title, doesn't hold a position in the church. Blessed my socks off. Just talking to me about his relationship with Jesus and I'm just sitting there listening going, okay, so in 30 years, that's what I want. I want what he has in 30 years. And then I'm leaving and the Lord's like, why 30? How about now? Like then, Lord, I want that now, because there's there's the the idea of those that that are part of the church. Guys, without the older part of the church, you realize the church is in trouble, right? Okay, I believe in giving young people authority in the church to do ministry, (laughs) but if there's not older people to keep them from driving off the road, we in trouble. It's like ministry permits; we don't get pass them out, but it's like somebody's got to be in the passenger seat, going, uh, 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 right. We need the balance in the church. We need those that are older and more experienced. We need those that are young and on fire. We need that. We need that in the church. And so he, when he talks about an elder, he's also t- he's talking about that authority. But, but here's the thing about the elder of authority is he's dealing with a problem. And so he's bringing that authority. Look, an elder in the church. He has authority to deal with this problem. He says, to the beloved Gaius. Now, Gaius is a common name in the Roman Empire. And we do not know which one this is. Because we see one in Acts 19, Acts 20, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, Romans 16, and here. So we don't know which Gaius this is. But here's what we do know for sure, is that he was a successful mentor of other Christians. He was a disciple maker. And how did he do this? Same way we do it, through relationship. We are in relationship with people, and that's how we disciple people. Um, There's a young man pastoring a church in central Idaho. I want to share with you how we started discipling them. He and a buddy of his were uh, together and it was after church, we'd gotten an emergency call from the hospital. There was somebody in the ER and they wanted somebody to come pray for them. So we grabbed these two guys, threw them in the truck and they said, where are we going? I said, we're going to the hospital. He said, who's sick? I said, you are if you ask any more questions. Let's go. Um, and, and we went to the hospital and I said, do not talk, watch. And myself and the assistant pastor and these two guys, we went into the hospital. We went into a working ER where there was a lot of chaos going on. They stood very, very carefully and they watched us minister not only to the nurses and the doctors, but to the family and to the person who was injured. And they watched. Do you guys understand that was all based on relationship? I I didn't go, hey guys, we're going to disciple you now in the ways of God. We said, get in the car, we're going. And by the way, that was pretty much the first year of discipleship with those guys was, hey, we're going to go do this thing. Hop in the car. Okay, let's go. And they would go and just watch us do ministry. And then they started doing ministry because they were learning how to do ministry through relationship. And so John says that he's beloved. This man is beloved. And for us, what endears us to people? Have you ever thought about that? What endears you to another person? What makes you want to be around another person? 
it, it's, it's love. It's, it's you love them. And it's that joy that you bring to each other and that relationship. And so the idea is, what are we known for? Are we actively loving? Are we actively mentoring and seeking to be in relationship with other people? And he says, look, you're my beloved whom I love in truth. This phrase John uses in 2 John. And there is indeed a love that is in truth and there is a love that is in deceit. A love that springs forth from the Christian faith is based on the truth of God and it is a truth that is a love in truth. But there's an opposite, which is a false love. It, is, it comes from the false priorities of the world and has a, which has a deceitful value system, that of the devil. Now, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15, said this, He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Listen, girls, I'm going to tell you something right now. There's going to be some boy that's going to say he loves you, but it not in truth. You have to watch out for that because they can use words that you want to hear because it affects you emotionally. When he's not thinking that, it's a deceitful love. And there's, there's deceitful love out there. Listen, church, I need, I need, I gotta tell you something. There is real evil in the world. I should tell you that right now. There is real evil in the world. And girls and guys alike, you gotta watch out. There are people out there that are evil. You got to watch out for that. You know, I encourage you to stay in your own lane. There's a, you know, the idea of love and loving oneself and being true to oneself is an interesting issue. Um, I, I had to take a self-esteem class when I started high school. It was required in my district. And they had just started those. And so I took a self-esteem class and because they wanted us to love ourselves. So we want you to love yourself. And so we're going to t- you're going to take this class and you're going to love yourself and learn how to love yourself through this class. Well, we got to the end of the class and we had to give ourselves a grade. So I gave myself a C. To which the principal, vice principal, and my teacher called my father in and said, we are worried about your son that he doesn't love himself. Because everybody gave themselves A's but me in all the sections of the class. I was the only C in the class. And they they said, well, we're afraid that your son doesn't understand self-esteem because he didn't give himself an A. And I'm I'm sitting in the office, and my dad looks at me and goes, did you do A work? I said, no, dad, I did C work. He says, okay, meeting's over. And we walked out. (laughs) Because I knew what A work was. And there were guys that didn't do any work in the class that got an A because apparently they loved themselves. Now, here's an interesting thing that that has happened over the years. That this idea of love that is true and love that is deceitful, we can get to a place where we can get caught up in a self-love that's deceitful. And a self-truth that is deceitful where we bring in a truth that's not true, but we make it our truth. How many of you have ever heard this phrase before? To thy own self be true. How many of you guys, are, how many of you guys know what it's from? Good for you. You read. All right. It's okay. Here's the thing. To thine own self be true has brought confusion both to self and to truth. It is from Shakespeare. 
It is from Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3, Lines 78 through 82. Now in this, uh, Polonius, okay, this is this character, um, and he's, he's speaking to his son before his son goes to, to Paris. And in those phrases, he's saying this, look, in the idea of to your own self be true, what he's getting at, he's saying, look, you need to take care of yourself so you can take care of others. That's what he's getting at. But we've turned it into this idea of to your own self be true. So whatever your truth is, that's the truth you have to live out. If you're just living out a truth because you think it's true and it's not the truth of the word of God, you're living a lie and you're in trouble. And so this is something that's very interesting. Now, by the way, do you guys understand that um, Shakespeare wrote a lot of satire? So uh, this particular character was a buffoon. And this character would speak wisdom as a buffoon, and that was part of the satire. And we grab onto something like that, and we read it, and we go, oh, to your own self be true. Just listen to your own truth. And, and I remember being told that as a kid. I remember, I know people tell me that now. I'm just, I'm trying to live by my own truth. I said, you don't have your own truth. It's either God's truth, which we love in truth, and we live in truth, or it's a lie. And so we have to understand that. Now, as he says in verse two, he says here, he says, beloved, this Greek word is, uh, is agapetos. And this is the idea of, is someone, there's an action of loving another person. But the word is to be esteemed, to dear, uh, someone who's favorite to you, worthy of love. And by the way, this is how Christians should see each other. I need to tell you that right now. We need to see each other this way because this is how God sees us. How many of you guys realize that you are loved of God? You are loved of, I'm gonna tell you this right now. And if you're here tonight, you don't think God loves you? I'm going to drop some truth on you. God cares for you. God loves you. And I know it got, it got cheesy, didn't it? It got cheesy over the years, didn't it? Jesus loves you bumper stickers. Jesus loves you hats. You know, Jesus, you know, in the end zone, Jesus loves you. John 3, 16, all that stuff. It, it got so common that we forgot how important that really is, that God loves us. God views us as his beloved people. He sees us as worthy of love. He sees us as dear children and he wants to have relationship with us. And that's how we're supposed to be with one another. Now, this next verse, by the way, culturally can get a little bit messy. He says, I, John, pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, here's where it gets messy. See, some people have taken this to say, well, that means across the line, we should be able to pray and be rich and healthy because that's what God wants, okay? Now, there are certain movements of Christendom that, lead, that lean that direction. And they, they want to say, you know, they want to kind of just speak that out and they're going to believe that's going to happen. Uh, we, we've used some terms before, name it, claim it, blab it, and grab it, you know, that, those kind of things. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we say that from a pulpit and we look for a cheap laugh. And by the way, we should never look for cheap laughs when, laughs when we're teaching. We shouldn't. We can laugh at ourselves, absolutely. But when people are struggling with error, we need to love them. We need to say, hey, listen, let's, let's actually look at what the verse says. So that's what we want to do. As some use this as an argument for that across-the-board promise of divine health and wealth for Christians, you have to notice that John says he's praying that. He doesn't promise that. He doesn't claim that, that, that prosperity and health will come. He's just praying for his brother. How many of you guys understand that sometimes you just need somebody to pray for you, that you'll be healthy? And that what you're up to is going to be good. It's all he's doing. He's just praying for him. If the beloved apostle John's prayer, he's just hoping that, you know, that Gaius would be in a place of being blessed in all aspects of his life. It's a five second prayer. 
By the way, when somebody says, hey, would you pray for me? Put your hand on him, pray for him. Lord, bless him in everything that he does. Keep him healthy. Let his soul prosper. There you go. Five second prayer. It's a great example of it. But what happens is people have taken it and gone a different direction. By the way, the, the word uh, that, you know, the idea of prosper in all things, um, he's praying also, in a sense, a blessed journey. That's how the word is used in Romans 1.10. It's the idea of prospering. It's that your journey would be blessed, that you're walking with the Lord. And he just prays for him for good health. How many of you guys want somebody to pray that you have good health? Absolutely. I want to pray somebody to pray for me that. How many of you guys want somebody to pray that what you're up to prospers? Absolutely. You know, but he says something here. He says, as your soul prospers. So here's an interesting thought. Either inferring that his soul was already doing quite well, or that God would bless him in all aspects in proportion to his spiritual growth. So let me ask you a question. Think about your physical health. What if your physical health directly paralleled your spiritual health? What would your life be like? Yeah. (laughs) Somebody's like, I'd be in a chair, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'd be in an ICU. Because isn't it amazing how we can be so focused on our, on our physical health that we don't focus on the spiritual health? Now, I love what the scripture says in uh, Mark 6, sorry, uh, Matthew six thirty three. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let's start with the spiritual things. Let's start with the most important things, the things of the spirit, and let's grow from there. And let's let the things in our life, our health, our our business, our everything grows out of our relationship with the king of kings. Now, verse three says this, for I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. So there's great joy and happiness found in the Christian faith. Absolutely. Christians rejoicing, is not something that we do as the world does it. When we rejoice, we are rejoicing with an eternal joy, an eternal victory of what God has done. Believers walk in truth. This is our joy when we walk in truth. Um, How many of you have ever had a police officer pull behind you and you go, "Uh uh-oh. Okay, do you want me? I'm gonna help you fix that. Slow down. No, serious. I, look, my brother's an officer, okay? It's, it's, this is a simple conversation, right? The police officer pulls in behind us, and what do we do? We start checking everything. We're like, then we start going, did I go to the DMV? Did I not? Did I? So if you don't want to freak out when an officer gets behind you, make sure your tags are current. Don't speed. And use your blinker. Right? So you can have 10 police officers around you and you'd be like, you can change lanes. I always, I always freak out. You know, sometimes an officer will go slower than traffic because he's looking at something. I'm, I'm with my boys. I'm passing him. And my boys are like, you're passing a cop. I'm like, I'm going the speed limit. I'm doing nothing wrong. Right? You guys know where this application goes, right? Man, if you want to have joy... Just walk in truth. Don't be, don't be freaking out all the time because you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. These fellow Christians now, by the way, they, they testified, they bore a witness of the fact that there was truth that was in Gaius. There's this truth that was in him. And this implies that one can recognize the truth in another and be convinced by an objective evidence to the fact that there is truth in someone. Think about that for a minute. 
People can look at your life and decide whether you're walking in truth or not. Now, James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if, we're, oh, if we only hear the word and we don't do the word, the only one we're deceiving is whom? Ourselves. Everybody else knows we're not doing truth. And so when we're doing truth, and by the way, that's what I love about being a Christian. Man, when we're doing truth, joy flows when we're doing truth. When we do what we do for the Lord and we do what we do in truth, we, what we do in love, man, joy flows forth from that. I have more fun as a Christian. I, have, well, I look for fun. I'm the kind of guy that looks for it. We used to call that trouble. I just look for fun. You know, I just, I just look for fun and I look for that in the, in the Lord. And, but here's a question. Can others see the truth in you, in me? If not, are we walking in truth? And if we're not, what are we walking in? By the way, if, if you want to know if you're walking in truth, ask your spouse. But if you really want to know, ask your kids. Ooh, they brutal. You ask your kids. Ask your kids if you're walking in truth. If you're walking in joy. They, they will let you know. Fearfully, but they will let you know. There is a difference between knowing truth and walking in truth. The Bible uses the phrase of walking in truth, referring to the lifestyle and the conduct of one's life. And when we do that, there's great joy in that. And we see that in John 8 and 12, Romans 4, 6, 8, 13, 1 Corinthians 7, this idea of walking in, this, this lifestyle of walking worthy of the Lord. But So walking in truth, would imply that a person knows the truth and is living according to that truth in his or her life and conduct. In other words, we know I shouldn't do that because that's not walking in truth because that wouldn't please the Lord. But there are a lot of people out there today that are very, very confused as to what truth is. And because of the idea to thine own self be true, they are broken in spirit and broken in body because they do not know or walk in truth. And could it be that people around them, every time they saw people walking in truth, that, well, you need to walk in truth, came about in a way of condemnation. Or you weren't good enough. Or you don't fit the way we think you should be. Look, we are all different. And we are all called to walk in the truth and the love of God. Can others see that truth in you? And I hope they can. So verse four says this. He says, I have no greater joy, no greater joy at all than to hear that my children walk in truth. So this statement lets us know that, and it hints towards the fact that, that um, Gaius was probably one of John's converts, one of his children. The idea of that relationship in the Lord, but also the fact that this great joy that he has is a joy of the spiritual reproduction of watching other people grow in the Lord and get to know the Lord and grow in Him, helping others walk in Jesus. There's no greater joy than that. This is about relationship that leads to discipleship. Bring me to life.
There's not much that will bring you greater joy than to help someone to learn to walk with Jesus. Seeing them believe, grow in faith, and change the world is an incredible privilege. It's also a great responsibility to guide others in faith. Mentoring and guiding others in faith can't just be done with notes and instruction. It's done in relationship and in authentic living. Recognize the value and worth of all of those in your body of believers. Apply the Word is a listener-supported ministry of Water Springs Church, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us in sharing the gospel message. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a financial supporter of Apply the Word? As a thank you for your gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you a copy of Crazy Love by Francis Chan. To find out more about how you can contribute and how you can be praying for us, please visit our website, watersprings.net. We live in a culture today that is nonstop and busy. It's hard to let go of commitments and responsibilities in order to help and serve others. Pastor Ty will challenge you, though, to be willing to give up those things that are precious to you, including time and resources, in order to show the love of Christ to others. It's countercultural, but it glorifies God. Are you open to loving others in a costly way? That's all the time that we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Apply the Word with Pastor Ty Orr. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting watersprings.net or by downloading our mobile app. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of 3 John right here on Apply the Word.